0: John chapter 15, verse 1. We're right in the middle of Jesus teaching his disciples before Jesus faces the crucifixion and Jesus' departure. And so we're right in the heart of when Jesus is giving his final instruction. Kind of the, you must know this. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The word of the Lord. What does the perfect meal consist of? What does the perfect meal consist of? I'm sure you would agree with me some essentially smoked meat would be appropriate. But I'm also sure you would agree with me that the essential, the essential meal consists of not having certain things. If you were to describe your essential meal this morning, would you describe it in the positive of you must have X, Y, and Z? Or would you describe it in the negative of, well, there are at least can't be Z, A, and B. How would you describe what the perfect meal consists of? All of us could give that description this morning because we know it would consist of things that we believe are essential in order for there to be an enjoyable meal. Well, if I asked you this morning, what does the Christian life consist of? What does it look like to be a Christian? everybody here could probably give some different ideas of what the Christian life consists of. Some positive things from growing up and your time in church that you could say, well, a Christian life consists of these things. And you could probably also say some things that, well, the Christian life consists of not having this stuff. We would all probably come back to agreement that says the Christian life consists of having certain essentials. Well, the question is, What is that essential? What is the Christian life? This morning, when we come to the final I am statement of Jesus, we hear Jesus make a declaration where he says, in very simple words, I am essential. In the imagery that Jesus is using, he's basically saying that there is no existence outside of him, that he is essential for life. Now, we're going to take a step back to understand a little bit further what Jesus is saying in this I am statement. But when we understand what he's saying, it all comes back to him basically saying he is essential. And then when he says he is essential, he spends the rest of the time teaching us, okay, if he's who he says he is, what should our life consist of? First, though, let's look and understand what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the true vine. Now, to you and I, we might hear this phrase, I am the vine, and we don't have vineyards around us. What can possibly Jesus mean when he says, I am the vine? Well, we have to take a step back and think about the Old Testament a little bit and think about the bigger picture of God. You've probably noticed in the news and you've probably noticed throughout history that Israel is a pretty big deal. You can't go without a week, especially in the news in America, and have some story about Israel. Right now, you know, there's a lot of turmoil in the Middle East. And there's a lot of conversation in the political circles about what foreign policy should we have in the Middle East. And every conversation always comes back to what's Israel's role in the Middle East and how are we supporting them? If you haven't noticed, Israel is a really big deal to America. And there's a reason that Israel is a really big deal to America. It's not because Israel pours over a bunch of cash to us. It's not because we think Israel is some mighty military that we can use to gain more land. If you look back historically, when Israel became a big thing in America, it's when religious leaders got involved and started putting their way on politicians, and the politicians started saying, hey, we've got to take Israel seriously because the religious leaders are saying Israel is a big deal. And now Israel is a really big deal. And this morning, I'm not going to dive into whether that should be or shouldn't be. All I'm saying is it's a reality. You can't help but avoid a conversation about Israel when talking about national security, when talking about the world as a whole. Well, there's a reason that Israel is a big deal. There's a reason that religious leaders, right or wrong, were trying to make Israel a big deal in the 70s and the 60s. The reason is because God has made a big deal about the nation Israel. If you think back to your Sunday school days now, studying the Old Testament, you can't read the Old Testament and not understand that, wow, what's the deal with Israel? It's all about Israel. Everything God talks about is this nation Israel. Well, the nation Israel was God's plan for blessing all the nations of the world. The nation Israel was God's chosen people group. You could say God's vehicle for making himself known all of creation. So if you look back with me in your Bibles, look to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is when the nation of Israel is actually first formed. Genesis chapter 12, probably a familiar story to most of us. Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Chapter 12, God is speaking with Abram, who we know as, as Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. through this man Abraham, and what's God going to do through this nation? Look at the language here. There's blessing all over the place. I bless you. Make your name great that you will be a blessing. I bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of this blessing language for this one nation. Why? Because God is creating one nation through which he's going to make known himself to all other nations. Think of it this way. Think of creation as a vineyard. Israel is a vine in this vineyard. It's God's chosen vine to bless all the other vines. It's God's chosen vine to make himself known to all creation. So that's Israel. Israel's a really big deal. And then if you read the rest of the Old Testament... Basically, you get a storyline that goes something like this. God calls this people and says, hey, I want you to be my people. The people say, hey, great, we're getting the promised land, let's go. The people go back and forth, getting to the promised land, finally get to the promised land, and they turn their backs on God multiple different times. God constantly sends prophets and says, hey, get your act together. You're not being obedient. At the end of the day, Israel hasn't become the nation that it was intended to be. At the end of the day, Israel is still waiting for that great moment when all of creation will be blessed through them. In one hand, you could say Israel fell short. But on the other hand, you could say that God was continuing to use Israel to be a blessing and lay the foundation through which Jesus would come. So now you get to the New Testament, and you run into Jesus, and there's lots of emphasis in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the origin of Jesus. Where did Jesus come from? So there's time spent on the family tree of Jesus. There's time spent on which city he comes from. All of this is important because it shows he comes through the nation Israel, through this lineage of kings, to be the one true king for this nation. And now Jesus makes an even radical, larger claim in John 15. So the people, the Jewish people, would have understood when they heard the vine they would have heard it to say, Israel is the vine. Israel's the vine that's going to bless all other nations. Now Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine. In other words, Jesus is saying, God's complete plan finds fulfillment in me. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of God's plan to bless all other nations. I am Israel. Israel finds fulfillment in me. Now, this is quite radical of a a claim that Jesus is making, that he is basically the picture-perfect Israel. He is the fulfillment of God's law. He is accomplishing everything that God wants Israel to accomplish is now being accomplished through Jesus. This maybe helps us understand a little bit why Jesus wasn't in the business of nation-building. So, In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to leave, and the disciples say to Jesus, well, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? In other words, they're saying, are you going to make Israel great again? Is it going to become the the force in the universe that it once was? And what does Jesus say to them Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Wait, I'm going to clothe you with power, and then you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus almost turns it on him a little bit and he doesn't say, no, I'm not going to build the great nation. He just says, hey, my focus is all the nations. It's because Jesus himself is Israel. He has accomplished everything that God wants to accomplish through Israel and it's through Jesus that all other nations are now blessed. And so now you say, well, okay, I'm really confused. Think. You've got Israel, you got Israel, you've got the Jews. Where do we fall into the picture? Think. What does that have anything to do with us, that, that Jesus and the Jews in Israel? Well, where we fall into the picture is that if God, the creator of the universe, was making himself known through the nation of Israel, and if God's plan A was to all bring peace through the nation of Israel, and now Jesus is saying, hey, I am the fulfillment of that plan. I am the one that's going to bring everything to completion. Jesus is basically saying, He is essential for all of creation. He is the key to all blessing. You know how we sing the song, Father Abraham? Maybe you grew up singing this in Sunday school. Father Abraham had many kids, da-da-da-da-da. Father Abraham. Well, the reason that we can sing that song is because Jesus has brought us in to be the people of God. That the people of God is no longer just one ethnic nation. The people of God is all people people under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So actually, we are now children of Abraham. The blessing that God promised in Genesis chapter 12 now comes to us because of Jesus. So Jesus is saying he is the key to all blessing. He is the complete fulfillment of God's plan. In very simple terms, Jesus is saying he is essential for life. And the imagery that Jesus uses then, the vine and the branches, just builds off of this idea that we cannot exist without Jesus. He uses and he says, well, what happens to a branch when it's cut off from the vine? It dies. It withers away. And so there's only one way to have life be connected to the vine. And Jesus is saying, he is that vine. So then the question for us now becomes, what does that affect... What does that effect have on me today? So if Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan, if Jesus is essential for life, what does that mean the Christian life is? Let's look here together at John 15, and we're going to start in verse 3. John 15, verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The Christian life, first, does not consist of doing good to get clean. The Christian life does not consist of doing good to get clean. This is an absolutely radical statement. If you have a pen with you, just underline clean because of the Word. Clean because of the Word. This goes against human intuition. This goes against every other religious system. Every religious system is built off of some purification system. Here in our own state, our own state has a religious heritage that's built off of a spiritual understanding of purification through, spirit, through certain spiritual elements doing certain things. It's that way all around the world. Every religious system has some sort of purification and you do something to get purified. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't do anything to get clean. Jesus is makes us clean by a word of promise when he says your sins are forgiven. This goes right against human tuit- intuition. When someone does something nice for you, what do you do in return? Well, i got to do something nice for them. Almost constantly, if someone does something for you, like comes over and helps you trim your bushes, what do you say? Well, let me know when you're trimming yours. We'll come over and help. Dan, I'm not going to do that with you, but anyhow, thing. <laughs> Most people have that intuition thing that you respond by doing something nice in return. Jesus, this system is totally different. We don't do something to get clean. But Jesus makes makes us clean by His Word. This morning, you are clean in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. The challenge for us is this. While we walk in the flesh, it doesn't always feel like we are clean. It's a spiritual reality that God has forgiven us. The psalm tells us that God has forgiven us and has forgotten our sin as far as the east is from the west. Measure that for me. The east from the west. You can't. It's gone. Your sin is gone in the sight of God. Not just forgiven, but forgotten. You're clean in the sight of God. It's a challenge though in the flesh because that still remains a little bit with us. The best way to understand it is think about pig farming for a second. When I was growing up, my cousins had a hog farm, and so every once in a while, I'd go over and work for them. What happens is you'd have to move the hogs up. As they got bigger, you'd move them along, then they'd get a new shipment in, and you'd bring the little ones in. So you'd arrive on the farm, you'd go in, and you'd take a shower, take all your clothes off, put on a little outfit, go in, work with the hogs, come out, take another shower, put your clothes back in on, and go home. So you took a shower before you went in, you took a shower when you left, you didn't even wear the clothes that you brought, and your mother still made you change in the garage. (laughs) Well, how can this be? The odor sticks with you no matter what thing. You can spot or you can smell a pig farmer pretty much anywhere. You cannot get rid of the odor thing. Now, For us who are in Christ, the odor's been gone. God has washed us clean. Yet so often, we're still living in that odor. We're still driven by guilt. We're still driven by this idea of, well, when I get a little bit better, then I can start participating more often. All of that is a bad mindset that says we have to get clean first rather than God makes us clean the odor may stay with us but God basically tells tells us live as though you don't have the odor because in the sight of God you don't have the odor it is gone you are forgiven in Christ the Christian life consists of being clean not because you live clean but because he has made you clean this is where Christianity is radically different there's no three steps to cleanliness There's only a word received to cleanliness. And that word is Jesus Christ saying your sins are forgiven. This morning, if you're struggling with guilt, it's time to continually remind yourself that God has forgotten. That in Christ, you are forgiven. Christians should be the last people that are walking around going, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Because Christians are walking around saying, it doesn't depend on how good I am. I'm doing it because Jesus is good enough. We don't serve when we're good enough. We serve because Jesus is good enough. Don't wait until you're clean to start living for Jesus. Start living for Jesus because Jesus has already made you clean. The Christian life consists of being clean because He has made us clean. And now we get to the heart of what really the Christian life, at the heart of what the Christian life is, comes in the next verse, verse 4 of John 15, where Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So you hear this word abide. It's all throughout John 15. Maybe the word in your translation is remain. The main message is very simple. Stay somewhere for a while. And where Jesus is staying is a stay with the vine, which is stay with him. Now, this is a challenge for you and I, because we don't have a lot of staying power. We're not really crockpot people. We're more microwave people. We want it fast. We want to go and get a quick connection and then get going back to our life as we know it. A while back, I was uh, doing a drive through Again, I don't eat out every day and I don't eat this unhealthy every day a while back thing I didn't have my normal vegetable lunch packed and so I went and was driving through the McDonald's drive-thru and as I was coming to the McDonald's drive-thru I placed my order right when I get done with the order all of a sudden this clock pops up on the screen and starts counting down from 30. I thought, Well that's odd I've never seen that before and I had been there a couple of other times so I I pull around and as I pull around I asked the cashier I said what's the countdown clock of 30 doing?" on the drive-thru window. says, well, we're guaranteed to have your th- food ready for you in 30 seconds from when you place the order. I thought, 30 seconds? Are you serious? I said, I said, do people really get upset if they don't have it within 30 seconds? And all she says is, there's a reason we put the clock there. 30 seconds thing. From the moment you place the order, they were going to have your food ready. Now, if you go back today, the clock is no longer there. Thing. But, What does that tell you about us? That we want our food in 30 seconds. 30 seconds is not very long at all. We don't have very good staying power. We like to move from the latest and the greatest very quickly. But what Jesus is saying here, that the essence of the Christian life is not moving from one thing to the next. The essence of the Christian life is found in staying power, remaining connected to Jesus for a consistently long time. The actual definition of this word abide is is kind of some big philosophical statement, but it says this, continuing at an objectively fixed place for an objectively determined time. Continuing at an objectively fixed place. In other words, very simply, staying in one place for a long time. The essence of the Christian life is staying connected to Jesus consistently. The Christian life is not found in religious activity, even though the Christian life contains religious activity. Now, this is where it becomes a real challenge. Because all of us have grown up and have participated in religious activity. We've prayed. We've read our Bibles. We've gone to worship. We've fasted. We've done fellowship. We've done all of this religious activity. You can have all of the religious activity yet not have the source, Jesus Himself. Here's the trick when we have Jesus Himself, we participate in all of this religious activity. The question is do we take our confidence in the religious activity? Or do we take our confidence in the one whom the religious activity connects us to? So another way of thinking of it is the term maybe you've heard before, spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are very simply activities that God gives us in His Word that we do on a regular basis. The purpose of these activities, prayer, fasting, um, confession, the purpose of all of those activities are to connect us to Jesus. The purpose of those activities are not to do stuff to get something. Because if you haven't noticed, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to do stuff and expect something in return. That's when people get disappointed. That's when people are like, oh, this Christian thing isn't all it's made up to be. Because they were expecting to get something out of the religious activity. The religious activity helps us abide in Jesus. The Christian life consists of remaining in Jesus Christ, abiding in Him. When I hear this word abiding, the one image that comes to my mind is young college boys when they meet young college girls for the first time. When I was in college over at USF and in the dorm, I had plenty of girls coming after me, but I was disciplined, Thing, And I said, I'm going to wait for that perfect Shannon someday, Thing, So I was disciplined, and I stayed focused on my studies, Thing, But it was amazing, Young boy after young boy would come up the hallway. And I was an RA, and my door was right at the top of the hallway. And I would see it time and time again. Next young boy comes up. Who does he have on his arm? Another young female. And then it would come to guys' night. Hey, we're going to Buffalo Wild Wings to play trivia. Who's in? We're in. A couple of guys here and there we're in. Knock on a couple of others. Hey, are you in for Buffalo Wild Wings? Well, can Francisca come? well, can you go anywhere without Francisca? You guys are attached at the hip. You see, what was happening, there was this young infatuation going on. They didn't go anywhere without each other. They were completely united together. They had some staying power. Now, the staying power in most cases didn't last very long. But when they were together, they were together. And I'm sure you've experienced this at some point, young men with some young female at some point, thing. Or you've experienced this in a different place in life where you've really got attached to someone or something. And basically, it controlled everything. But when Jesus is saying, abide in me, he's really given us this picture of being completely in union with him, united to him, that where we go, he's already gone before us. That what we do, we're doing because he's given us the marching orders to do. That to abide in Christ is to be completely united with Christ. This is what the Christian life consists of. Too many of our young people have grown up in a church where the Christian life consists of avoiding certain things. And then when they avoid those things, God loves them and they are a good person now. Well, that message doesn't hold for very long. Because it gets really old after a while trying to avoid everything. The Christian message has never been avoid. The Christian message has always been abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, are there certain things that we simply avoid? Yes. But my my motivation is not avoid, my motivation is abide. Christ is calling us today not to avoid, but he's calling us today to abide. And then the avoidance is a byproduct of the abiding. It's kind of like this. When you taste greatness, what do you begin to avoid? Bad food, right? I mean, when you taste pizza in greatness, what do you begin to avoid? minervas hands down right because when you taste greatness you're like well that stuff's no longer good anymore you've all had this experience in one way or another in your life where the moment you had that taste of greatness now what happens now you can taste when it's off a little bit when we begin to abide in jesus christ what happens is we become to have a distaste for things that dishonor jesus very quickly And it's no longer a job to avoid those things, but it's actually a pleasure because we want to continue to abide in Christ. The Christian life consists of abiding in Jesus. It consists of that because Jesus Christ is essential for life because He is the true vine through which all blessings flow from God. This morning, we all leave here and we'll go out throughout the next week Living our lives. And most of our lives consist of work, parenting, some home chores here and there, and some hobbies. That's for the most part, that's what our lives consist of. The question as we leave here this morning is not what does the Christian life consist of. The question for us this morning is what does my life consist of? Does your life consist of abiding in Jesus Christ? Does your life consist of staying connected to the essential vine through whom all blessings flow? This next week, you have an opportunity to have your life consist of that which it was created to consist of, abidance in Jesus Christ. I invite you this morning to make the declaration that when Jesus says, I am the true vine, make the declaration that he is the true vine by abiding in Him, remaining connected to Him. What will your life consist of this next week?